All right. Well, it is good to be here with you. Uh, in a sense, good to be back at East Cooper Baptist. Uh, but after a year of hearing Buster preach, I'm ready to go. Um, so, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Actually, uh, in the last, last service, I, I said, um, I think Buster asked me to come preach uh, while he was gone so that uh, all the congregation would be fooled that a younger, more handsome version of him had returned. Uh, but alas, we know that Buster will never be handsome like this. So, we'll charge on. Actually, where I'd like to begin our discussion today is to actually begin it with one of Buster's contemporaries, that being Abraham Lincoln. And so, as Abraham Lincoln stood up to deliver his speech uh, in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, he did so convinced that many of the nation's current ills could be traced back to the facts that the fact that the Americans uh, had, re- had really forgotten what made them uniquely American. You see, those ideas that were set forth so eloquently in the Declaration of Independence, well, those ideas had fallen by the wayside. And so this is why the Gettysburg Address starts off the way it does. And so hopefully this doesn't cause you to break out into cold sweats or anything, remembering back to when you had to memorize this in middle school. It starts off with the past, and it doesn't start with the future. Four score and seven years ago, our, four, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty. You see, what Lincoln demonstrates in the Gettysburg Address is that he understands that America could never go forward before it looked backwards. It couldn't start putting the pieces that had fragmented over the past few years back together again until it looked back to define, to see what America really was, what made these territories the United States. You see, Lincoln demands that the people never forget their beginning, to never forget their identity, to remember America's core values, to remember what it meant to be America, a country dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now, Lincoln was a brilliant man. He was a voracious reader, and he knew Christian Scripture. So, so if you want a good picture of what, uh, what Lincoln was like, just imagine a bearded Buster Brown. Or, or let me rephrase that. Imagine an intelligent bearded Buster Brown. This is great. I love being in his pulpit so I can do this to him. Well, hopefully, one day he'll listen to this. Um, so he knows what I've done. So Lincoln was smart, and, and, and part of me wonders if th- this, this Gettysburg Address finds sort of its beginning points in the good book, specifically if he sought out wisdom from Moses, who was a leader in a similar situation as Lincoln was. You see, in the book of Deuteronomy, where we'll find our text today, Moses, like Lincoln, many years later, found himself charged by God to lead an obstinate, broken, idolatrous people into a new era of their history. 
You see, where we find Israel at this point is with 40 years of dust accumulated on their feet after wandering through the wilderness from Sinai to the plain at Moab. And right in front of their eyes are the cleansing waters of the Jordan River, and beyond it is the land that God had promised their fathers years ago. And what Israel has to do, all they have to do in order to get those promises is to hear the covenant again and respond in obedience. But before Moses gets to his thou shalts and thou shalt nots, he hits the pause button for a second, and he reminds the people who they are. He points them back to what their core value is. He points them back to what their identity is. And as we'll see in the passages that we read today, he doesn't point to Israel herself. He doesn't say, look at your own quality. He doesn't say, look at your own excellence. He says, look to God. Look to the true universal Lord who has presented himself in covenant lordship to you. That's your identity, Israel. And Christians, as we know, that's our identity as well as it is revealed to us in Christ. So let's take a look at the text together. We are going to turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4, verses 32 through 40. Again, the context of this verse is that Israel is on the precipice of the promised land. Moses is about to declare the covenant again to them so that they can respond in obedience and receive the promises that lay before them. So what does Moses want them to know before he gives them the covenant? Well, the first thing that we need to see is that Moses wants us to know God's past mighty acts so that we will be reminded that he is the one true Lord. So, What Moses is saying is that if you know God's past mighty acts, you will know that He is the one true Lord. Notice where Moses starts here. Who is he speaking to? Well, he doesn't tell the Israelites to go out and to ask each other about who God is. A good way to think about the beginning of this text is to think about it as Moses is starting a research project for Israel. Let's read it together. Verse 32 through 35. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the days that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of? Did any God ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, signs, by wonders, by war, 
by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, there is no other beside Him. So Moses begins with this research project. All right, Israel, go out and ask, have you seen anything like what God has done for you in this world before? So where does Moses send them in their, uh, in, in their research? Again, it's not to each other. It's to time and space. So what he says is, ask anyone in the past. So, so hear this, ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, all the way back to creation since the day that God created the heavens and the earth. And then he follows it up and says, ask anyone in heaven or earth. So time and space. Ask from one end of heaven to the other. And that would seem to cover the world and everything beyond it, doesn't it? So why does he do this? Why does Moses start here? He gives us this questionnaire so that we see that you can ask anyone, anytime, because that is the God of the universe. You see, this God that Moses is talking about is a universal God. He is cosmic in His rule, in His reign. There are no limitations to Him whatsoever. So Moses is basically saying, become a telemarketer and call anyone you want in the past or in all of the earth or in the heavens above, and make sure you do it during supper so you annoy them, and ask them if they have seen anything like God's mighty acts. You see, God's greatness is on full display, not just in Israel's camp, but in all the world. His rule and reign is not just with Israel. It is in Egypt behind them, and it is in the promised land before them. And that's huge. That's huge. It shows us that Israel's God is not simply some little territory deity. He's not Israel's genie in a bottle. He is the God who has planned. He is the God who governs. He is the God who rules and reigns over Israel, but over all of time and space. And that's huge, isn't it? Because of where Israel stands at this moment. They've seen what God has done in the past They've seen His faithfulness, and because of that, they can look forward to His faithfulness to come, not only because of what He's done for them, as we'll see here in a second, but because He rules everything. That means He rules over you and me, whether we feel like He is or not, or whether we want Him to or not. Just ask Pharaoh about that last point. Okay, so God is universal. He is Lord over time and space. And we also see very briefly, Moses kind of slips this in into this whole argument. He says that God is the one who created 
man on earth. Now this seems, again, somewhat discreetly, but this is huge as well because it tells us that not only is God the one who creates time and space, He creates all of man. Again, He created Egypt and governed over them, pulling Israel out of that great nation. And He governs all those mighty warriors on the other side of the Jordan that stand between Israel and God's promises. So what Moses is doing here, what we should hear today is that that God is our God. That God who was faithful and able is faithful and able this day to meet us to correct us, to change us, and to give us a hope. So God's lordship, him being the one true God, means that he is the universal Lord. He is cosmic ruler and reigner. Number two, not only does God's lordship tell us that he is universal Lord, it tells us that his lordship is unique. There's something distinct about this God that is different than all the other nation's idols. There's something different about this God that is different than all the other people's experience of God. And what is that unique quality? Well, one, it's his choice to relate. Look, look here, look, look at verse uh, 35. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of a fire, as you have heard and still live? So, so what's that telling us? It's telling us that God, in His, as we'll see later, in His covenant love, comes to this people. He reveals Himself. He speaks out who He is through the fire. but there's an audience on the other side of the fire, isn't there? First, it's Moses at the burning bush. That had to be a little freaky, right? And then it's Israel as they see this pillar of fire leading them through the wilderness. You see, God is revealing himself, and he's revealing himself to a people. And, and, and I hope you caught this as well in verse 30, uh, 33. He says, these people have heard his voice, you have heard it, and still live. Well, does God have to reveal himself? Absolutely not. It's by his gracious activity that he does this. And we are his gracious recipients of that revelation. But what's the implication of that, yet they still live? What's the implication of that? Those who hear this God should be consumed by His holiness. Their death should be imminent because of who He is. But God, as He was gracious to reveal, is also the God who is gracious to provide mediation, to give distance. You see, the God who comes to offer Himself to us is also the God who offers His holiness to us. 
So God is unique in the fact that he has revealed himself through relationship. He is the one who has come to be revealed. And he's revealed primarily through his coming, not only to relate, but to redeem. Remember the questions at the beginning of this text. Has any people seen or any God done quite what Israel's God has done? The rhetorical answer to that is no. There is no other God like Yahweh. So what makes him unique? Yes, he relates, but he doesn't just start a relationship. He actually goes and redeems a people for himself. You see, he goes and takes a weak and forgetful nation out of the world-dominating power that is Egypt in order to demonstrate his own glory and our need for him. He talks about in this text God coming through trials, signs, wonders, war, terror. What does that remind you of? When you hear those, that category, what, what, what does that remind you of? I think he's calling our minds back to the ten plagues, where God comes into Egypt on their own territory to have this great sovereignty contest to demonstrate that Pharaoh in this powerful nation of the world compare nothing to him. If God wants Israel, he will take them with him. He will go far, as far as to cut down their source of wealth, and even their future generations to demonstrate that their sinfulness and their obstinance cannot keep God from accomplishing His purposes. So why does He do this? Why does God reveal Himself in all these things? To be the universal Lord who is unique to relate and to redeem. He does so in verse 35. That's the beauty of Moses. He gives us these cliff notes here. He says, To you it was shown, all, of these mighty, all this mighty act of who God is, this act of redemption, it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no other beside him. So all this was told to them. All this was demonstrated by God's mighty hand so that Israel might know, so that the world might know, that this is the one true God. Now, why is monotheism so important at this particular point? Remember Israel's context. Where have they come from? They've come from Egypt, where they've been under the throne of, or under the thumb of a king who calls himself a god. They're about to go into a land that is defined by idolatry. And Moses knows Israel's heart. In Israel's short history, what have we seen? What has characterized Israel's heart thus far? It's idolatry, isn't it? Remember Exodus 24? God gives them the covenant through Moses. Moses says, what's your response? And they say, we got this totally going to obey. Don't you worry about us. You go on up on that mountain, you meet with God, everything will be fine. You flip a couple chapters over, Moses is on the mountain, 
what are the people doing? They're breaking the covenant. They go out and make an idol for themselves because Moses hasn't returned on their time schedule. So what do they do? They corrupt themselves. And so Moses, knowing this past and knowing what lies ahead, says, this is your God. Respond to him. Rejoice in him. Hope in him. That's where your faithfulness lies. What's beautiful about this passage is the fact that this universal God, who is Lord over time and space, who is the creator of the universe, who is also the one who relates and redeems, has been revealed most beautifully in Christ Jesus. You see, that universal, unique God has come to this earth to cause redemption, to relate to us. He is the one who created all the heavens and the earth. He is the one who comes to relate to a sinful and broken people. And not only that, he is the one who comes to take us, to give his life as a ransom for many. God, that is universal and unique, has stooped low and entered into this world for our redemption. So Moses, knowing, pointing forward to these ideas, continues on to our next point. So yes, knowing God's past helps us be reminded that God is the true Lord over all heaven and earth, but we also need to be reminded that God's past reminds us of his covenant love for us. So he is ruler and reigner, but he is also the God who draws near in love for us. Notice how the text shifts in verse 36 through 39. If you would, read that with me, please. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that you might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire, and because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of, the, out of Egypt with his great presence, great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath, there is no other. So, what's the word you hear over and over and over again in this text? It's the word you. So, what Moses is wanting us to see is that covenant God, that Lord of all, has come to be personal with his people. So, the first was, the question was, the first section, Ask the cosmos, ask others, ask the nations, and now he's saying, you, look what I have done for you. He let you hear his voice out of heaven. On the earth, he let you see his great fire. You heard his words. He loved your fathers. He brought you out of Egypt. He's driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourself 
to bring you in and to give you their land. Moses is saying all this so that we see that God has manifested Himself to redeem, to fulfill His covenant promises to Israel, to Isaac, to Abraham, so that you might be a great nation in a great land. What he's saying is, don't take this covenant love for granted. Now, now, now we tend to do this, don't we, with the people we love most. Man, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever woken up on that ill-fated day and thought to yourself, oh my goodness, yesterday was my anniversary. I think it's best that I make a run to Lowe's and buy my wife that appliance that just screams, I love you. Anybody ever done that? Don't, don't raise your hands. We don't, we don't need confession here right now. But that's what we do, right? The things that we most love oftentimes are the things we take for granted, the things we forget. And Moses is saying, don't forget God's covenant love for you. Because in a second, he's going to say, you need to respond to this. Don't forget it so that you will live in response to it. Again, Moses is saying this for the Israelites, but he's saying it for us as well. He's pointing forward to not only a God who is universal and a God who is personal and in covenant love, he's telling you that that God is Christ. You see, he is the one who has come to be the personal God here and now. Moses also tells us that God's love, God's covenant love, is promise-keeping. And this is important for the Israelites. He's saying, I have come to do these mighty acts so that you remember the love I promised to your fathers. Now, the Israelites hear that, and they hear a few things. They hear, one, God's been working at this a long time. This whole redemption project doesn't center around me. Yes, it, I'm in the story, but the story is not solely about me. So, so it keeps them from feeling an air of superiority. But what else does it do? This reality is to show that God is the one who will go with them to ensure his promises in the promised land. He's the one who goes to protect them as they go, to keep these mighty warriors from them. And it's only him in his faithfulness that can accomplish the fulfillment of the covenant. Well, that's important to see. And he also knows that this God is going forth not only with them, but with future generations. And that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who Paul says is the one who comes to fulfill every promise offered. All of God's promises find their yes in Christ. So, here's what Moses is doing. He's saying, God is the Lord of all. God is the Lord of you. Now, Israel, 
here's your turn. Verse 40. Therefore, that's a huge word, therefore, this is how you respond to the universal God, the one who is personal and promise-keeping. Here's your response. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. So what is Israel's response? This is what God is. This is who God is. This is what he does. Ruler, time, space, creator God. He's also the personal God who's extended himself in covenant love to you, to become personal, to relate to you, to come and redeem you. This is how you respond. What do you respond with? What demonstrates that you understand that love and you've embraced that love? Here, Moses tells us it's obedience. It's obedience. Remember, you're on the edge of the Jordan River waiting to go across, and all that is before you is yours if you keep this law. And there's the problem, right? There is the problem. Because what has Israel's past history and the history that follows told us about Israel? Well, if we want to sum it up real quick, not so good at covenant keeping. Pretty good at idolatry and following after false gods. But let's take that And let's also see the fact that that heart that is in the Israelite, that heart of stone, is also in me. It's in you. Just as Israel could not keep the covenant, you cannot either. So what do we do? Where do we go? That promised land looks pretty good. God's covenant promises look pretty tempting. Where do I go? We see God understood this. He knew this. And what he does is he not only gives us this covenant, but he provides us with a new covenant. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31, please. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. This is Jeremiah proclaiming the coming new covenant. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will take a new, make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them from, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. You see, the old covenant has been completed in the new This is why when Jesus Christ 
comes, he comes to fulfill this very text. So, obedience is how we respond to the covenant, but we can't be obedient. Instead, we have to look to Christ. So, so what I want us to remember here is, one, run to the new covenant. Run to who Jesus Christ is for you. He is the one who has come to write the law on your heart. He is the one who has come to forgive your iniquities. And how do we embrace that? How do we receive that? It's by faith in what he has actively done in his own obedience and what he's done in his death. You see, Christ substitutes for us. He takes our sin so that we can have his obedience and righteousness. So yes, run to the new covenant to identify yourself with Christ. Remember how all this began. What is Israel's identity? Israel's identity is God. And the Christian's identity is God in Christ. We're all searching for some form of identity. All you have to do is just see that played out, just walk into any high school lunchroom. Right? Watch The Breakfast Club, which is, by, by the way, that's where the uh, sermon title came from today. Watch The Breakfast Club. You see all these people trying to figure out what their own identity is. We're doing it all the time. I know that my heart is to identify myself by the letters after my name or what's on my diploma or what's in my driveway or where my address is. For others, it may be things that we don't have. Maybe it's the fact that I am, I am lonely. I am broken. I am unlovable. But you see, none of us will ever be fulfilled until we have placed our identity in the universal unique, relational, redemptive God who has come in Christ. That is where our identity changes. And then finally, I want to say what Moses says here to all of us, myself included. Please, please do not forget your God. That's what he's doing with the people in Israel. Look back where you have been and your temptation to forget. Look forward to where you're going and know you're going to face the same problems. Your heart is wayward and you're going to forget your God. Come back to him. Remember him. Remember this day that he is Lord over the universe and he is your covenant uh, redeemer. And so now, what I want us to hear today, what I need to hear today, is that same God is the God here, right now. He is the God who has come in Christ to buy us back so that we may not only remember him, but may be with him forever and for all eternity. So don't forget him. 
That's our tendency. We want to forget them, and then when things come up in our lives, we begin to say, I don't like this so much. I could handle this better. I'm mad at you, God. I don't trust in you. I'm anxious. I'll pick this up and make it my own. No, instead, run to this God and know He is the one who is faithful. No, He is the one who has provided redemption for you in a way to be in His covenant promises forever. So, walk with Israel across the Jordan, but do so in Christ and receive God's covenant blessings that are available in Christ. And in response to that true love, obey because you are united to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who has revealed himself. We thank you that you are a God who has not forgotten your people as we are so apt to do with you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together with like-minded believers and to marvel at what you've done in Christ. Lord, break our hearts this day. Help us to see your glory. Help us to live in light of that. May we go forth today putting our identity in you, being united to you, and receiving our covenant promises through your Son, Jesus Christ whose name we pray. Amen.